Welcome to Hashtag Love Yourself. I'm your host, Jesse Jobson, and I'm going to guide you on your personal journey towards self-love. Hi, my beautiful souls. Welcome back to Hashtag Love Yourself. On today's episode, we are going to talk about the unhealthy beliefs that people hold that actually prevent you from loving yourself. All right, before we dive into that, I want to make a quick announcement for all of those people who are interested in investing more into learning how to love themselves. Um, You can find more information and I have more classes now available that are live. So we have a mini Love Yourself course um, that you can just start out and see if this is something that you would like to invest in yourself with. And we also have the Love Yourself Master Course that is going strong and changing lives. And so because Giving Tuesday is tomorrow, I'm giving all of you podcasters the sneak peek. Today on Cyber Monday, you guys get the Tuesday deal. So you get it for two whole days versus one day. So the deal is that whatever course you buy, whether you buy the mini Love Yourself course or the Love Yourself Master Course, Either one you get at discount of if you buy one, you give one away to whoever you want. So it's pretty much getting each course 50% off, right? If you think about it that way. So I wanted to be able to spread the love and for you to be able to spread the love on Giving Tuesday. So have access to that early. And I'm so excited that um, I get to give away this offer. So enjoy because I love you too. All right, let's get started. All right, let's uncover these fallacies and these myths that we uphold as truths and that are actually self-damaging and self-destructive. Okay, the very first one is a big one. I feel a lot of people do it. A lot of people fall into this one. Um, So let's decode this, deconstruct it, look at where kind of it comes from, and talk about the truth of it, okay? The first one is, I'm so nice or good that I'm needless. And this belief is also known as the Mother Teresa syndrome. And essentially it's usually codependent people pleasers that use this to um, make them feel like a heroism about putting everyone above them and not having needs, right? Um, So if you're constantly putting others before you, constantly focusing on everybody else's needs rather than your own, it gets really easy to, instead of blame yourself or shame yourself for doing that, but to flip the script and turn that story into you being a hero and, um, and being kind of like a Mother Teresa where we, you know, give ourselves endlessly But even Mother Teresa had ends to giving herself and giving her time and her energy and her resources, right? Because even Mother Teresa knew that without taking care of yourself, you can't take care of others. Like if you don't take care of yourself and fulfill yourself first, you're really nothing to others, right? And we can push push our energy out and kind of spin our wheels for a good amount of time, right? Uh, without taking care of ourselves before it starts to show the wear and tear, problems start to occur, you know, um, our needs start to get louder and louder. But 
this really truly comes from a place of wanting, you know, like the do-gooders of the world, the people that, that really want to be kind and good. And so when you're in lopsided relationships, right, um, those will train you. The lopsided relationships where people are taking more than you're receiving um, will train you that you don't need to have needs, right? You don't need to um, be, you know, uh, yeah, like don't ha need to have any preferences on anything. Um, you don't need to, to ha have really a bunch of needs that will end up bothering them, right? Because it's in those lopsided relationships, it's all about the other person. And so, like I said, that's really stems from um, a codependent, usually forms in a codependent relationship, maybe prior to adulthood. So usually in childhood, you'll see this, um, you know, being good and quiet as a kid, we're, we're told that a lot, you know, you're um, seen but not heard, right? Um, if you're a good kid. Um, so we use these like forms of like labels of good and to really domesticate people to domesticate um, others around us, to get them to do what we want. So if parents or caregivers or adults, teachers, you know, um, well-meaning adults that care for us, um, they put these like stigmas or labels out there that if you are good, you do this kind of behavior and it's the behavior of whatever they're trying to domesticate you as, right? Whatever they're trying to get you to do. If you, they're trying to get you to be quiet, if they're trying to get you to, you know, go to the doctor, whatever it might be. Um, but oftentimes when this is used too intently, like I said, in a codependent relationship for a child, um, then this becomes overdramatic. And then they end up attracting, as an adult, lopsided relationships where people are willing to take advantage of the person that's willing to give out all their energy and not receive much back in return, right? Um, but when we do this, when we pretend that we don't have needs, which is a fallacy because really, in the end, every single person on this planet has needs, right? There's not one human or even animal or anything that's really ever existed that doesn't have a need, right? We all have needs. Um, but to to pretend that we don't have needs um, is actually considered self-abuse. And that's where if you get too far into this belief of, I'm so nice, I'm so good, I don't need anything, I just do for others, that becomes an unhealthy script that is self-abuse, right? So now you don't just have other people taking advantage of you. You're actually doing it yourself, right? You're, you're building upon these unhealthy beliefs, or this one in particular, um, that allows other people to take care or take advantage of you, um, but also for you to be self-sufficient in that abuse area where you're taking advantage of you. So it's no longer a gatekeeper outside of you, you know, pushing you down, saying you have to do something you don't want to do. It's you actually sufficiently becoming this person who... Um, that's how you live, that's how you run, that's how you live your life, and it's unhealthy, okay? Um, so our physical needs, our emotional needs, our mental needs, um, all those those things that make up us thriving, right? All of the things that help us feel balanced and have a ha healthy and happy life, right? All of those needs need to be met, and there's a lot of them, and so, making sure that you are not only aware of them, but that you 
stand up for your needs with others in your relationships and in life and that you don't um, dumb your needs down just to stay in unhealthy relationships with others that um, most likely want to, you know, it's nice and easy for them there, right? It's nice and easy when someone cleans the house and takes care of the kids and, you know, doesn't ask much in return and, um, and then they're, you know, they don't have to do much on your, you know, for you, you know, there's that, that balance that needs to happen in relationships, no matter what kind of relationships and, and relationships do go through different seasons, right? Where sometimes people lean on each other more than others. But if on a large scale, a relationship feels like, it's work or you're giving or you're outputting more than you're receiving, then it's unbalanced, unhealthy relationship and that should not be occurring, right? And you're the gatekeeper of that. You need to make sure that you're loving yourself enough to to speak up for your needs and to receive from relationships what you actually desire and what you need to feel healthy and safe and to feel happy, right? All right, the next one is my loving heart is so big that it can heal and save others who are hurt. (laughs) Now this one is also common. Um, This is uh, usually, again, with people that are the people pleasers, but the um, people that also grew up in the codependent relationships with a parent or a caregiver, um, they're known as the rescuers and the savers, right? And so this is just one scenario, but it's really, really common, so I'm gonna share it with you. in the codependent relationship with the parent and child, this one usually happens when um, they see, you know, a lot of turmoil or struggle on for their parents, right? And then that just naturally inspires a human, you know, no matter where you come from, that naturally inspires us to want things to be better, right? To want them to be good. And sometimes... Um, people's personalities will want to latch on to, well, I can fix it. Like, I'm, you know, I'm a doer. I can fix it. I can do this, right? And little things, you know, throughout your childhood, like maybe being really, really um, good, you know, while, so your parents don't really have to focus on any of your needs um, is a form, right, of, of that codependent relationship because a child shouldn't have to worry about that. But if they can figure out really quickly that it stresses mommy or daddy or caregiver out when I, you know, need something or, you know, a basic need or um, a big emotional need or whatever, um, then they usually start to, like, minimize those for the relationship, right? To, to kind of balance things out, right? Just naturally. And so naturally, the rescuers and the savers are just kind of pulling from that natural instinct, right? The natural instinct in us to survive because survival comes from knowing that we need intimate relationships, knowing as a child that we need a caregiver. We need a parent, right? Someone who loves and can take care of us and provide for us. So if we do something, right, that damages that relationship or rocks the boat too much, it's too dramatic when we have needs, right? Then for survival instincts and for survival reasons, humans, we are built inside of us to be like, okay, that's rocking the boat too much. I need to rock the boat less because I don't want the boat to capsize and I don't want to not have a caregiver or, you know what I'm saying? Or I want to be loved or I want to be, you know, 
you know, um, taken care of. And when I do that, it's stressful and they can't take care of me, right? So, so that, that natural instinct within all of us to nurture and to take care of others really is what drives and like the survival instinct to really drives us to believe this. But as grown-ups, we got to wake up, right? And we have to realize that the real truth of rescuing and saving people is first off an illusion. It's not real. <laughs> You're never ever really saving anyone. Even when we believe that we are, like when we believe that we are doing all these things that if it weren't happening, that person wouldn't would wouldn't be better off as in our mind, right? But the thing that you have to think of is first off, there's always free will. You're not never ever like overriding someone's free will. That's why they say you can't help anyone that doesn't want to be helped, right? It's true, you can't save anyone that doesn't want to be saved, right? So, um, but also on a bigger and more spiritual scale of that, you have to think that everything that you are doing in someone's life is just like a, an attraction from that person's energy. And I know that for some people that goes a little bit deeper than the standard of what we like to think, but really truly, if you're thinking about you know what you build in your life and what you attract or what you repel, you have to think that you know sometimes you're even repelling the things that are good for you or you're attracting them. And so sometimes being the saver is just because someone initiated that, they needed it, and you were the source in which that they attracted that to their life, right? So you could think on, on those levels as well. Um, but so essentially, it's an illusion. You're not ever saving anyone. It's not really true. And I've seen it. I've never ever heard of a story where someone says, oh yeah, you know, I was their saver, savior and they just had the fairy tale ending to the rest of their story. It doesn't ever work that way. Usually the stories that you're going to hear is someone saw something that they thought was horrible for someone, like an addiction or whatever it might be, and then they got so wrapped up in trying to enable them and build them and do for them that they think that they can't do for themselves, and that person ends up going under too. And not necessarily in the same manner, like not maybe in, an, in the same addiction or whatever, but it's usually emotionally and mentally. It suppresses and lowers their mental and emotional um, output, and it's just not good. It's not healthy, right? And you can never help anybody from there. You can never get so low that you can that you're gonna lift someone up. You can only inspire and lift people up from being in a place of a pure, positive, loving example. That's how people learn. That's how people choose for themselves if they want to follow that, right? But you're, um, it's not your responsibility to save anyone and you really never are. So that's a fallacy that people live in. And then we use that, right, to put, to mask that, um, to, or to mask the thing that says you need to leave this relationship because it's, it's um, pulling you down, right? It's pulling you down mentally or emotionally. And so we use the, well, I'm saving them excuse in our minds or in our belief system to, to make us feel like that we that we can stay, right? And that we can stay in abusive or toxic relationships or relationships that are not healthy, right? In general, on, on a large scale level. Um, so yeah, so one of the things that I remember writing down one of the quotes that I wrote a long time ago, and I'll never forget it, is you are never able to help another from a low place yourself. So don't follow others to low places just to save them because it'll never pan out the way that we envision it. I've never heard of anybody it turning out great. It always 
um, you always, when you get to that low place, then you have to start at some point focusing on yourself and then it's, you know, like, dang, I got myself, I got myself here. Not them. I did, right? Um, okay. The next one is I am so amazing and super at everything I do. This one can prevent you extremely from loving yourself. And the way it does that is that we are all a limited supply, right, of our our energy and our love and our strength. I mean, obviously, like, there's unlimited love within, within us, right? So I'm not talking about that specifically. But what I am saying is that we have a limited, as humans, we have a limited supply of energy. That's why we have to sleep, you know, um, of being days or minutes and, and seconds and hours in a day, right? There's only so much of, you know, energy essentially, right? And so when we feel like we have to push ourselves to be amazing and super at every single thing that we do, right? Because in our society and culture, it's not okay or not accepted to just be normal anymore, right? You have to be above the rest, above the majority. And not everybody can be above the majority, right? And not to say that we shouldn't push ourselves and evolve and try and become better versions of ourselves every single day. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that when we try to push ourselves outside of this normal in every arena of our lives, right? As the, as the mom, as the wife, as the sister, as the daughter, as the, um, as a career woman or whatever, you know, and you can change those to the masculine term if you need to. But when we try to be the best at every single role, you have to realize that the energy has to come from somewhere. So when you're trying to be the best mom, it might have to pull from maybe the career bucket, right? Or, you know, all those different things you can't. And really, truly, we want healthy balance if we're going to take on multiple roles and multiple things in our life. And that is a healthy way to live. But you have to pull from different areas. And usually the first place that gets deduction in your energy is parts that are really personal to you because those are the parts that most people won't see. So no, it won't matter to anyone else, right? And because, and that's how this is really not, this belief helps you not love yourself so much is that because it really then you have to pull from somewhere else, right? And so our world that lives in the wounded masculine society of overdoing, overachieving, overindulging, overspending, you know, just being better than everyone else is sets us up for failure, right? Because then we have to push out all of our energy to become this over amazing person. That's that's what we're constantly striving and constantly trying to keep up with um, and and then we're not putting the, the energy in the right places that balances us out and keeps us healthy and happy, right? So that's where this, the super syndrome, so that's what I have nicknamed it and I know that other people have kind of picked up on I've heard it in other arenas too. It's true, it's that super syndrome of like feeling like, like you have to do it all, but that's the thing is that's not humanly capable most of the time. And that's why we need help from others, right? That's why it takes a village. It takes a village. That little statement of it takes a village came from 
even raising one child or being even in a marriage, it takes a village. It doesn't just take one person. And sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need advice. Sometimes you need assistance. Sometimes you need financial help. Sometimes there's all these different things that you sometimes you can't just do it all on your own, right? And we need to have that awareness because the the belief that you're so amazing and that you can just burn yourself out at every, you know, thing that you touch is really it's it's an unhealthy it's unhealthy way to live, right? Because that's not how our our balanced healthy life is can be run. So, um Oh, there's a few more things on this that I think were really, really important. Um, yeah, so the the things that I was thinking about, the things that go first when we remove um, energy to put it towards like maybe our ambitions and our goals, right? The things that we usually remove it first from first are um, our personal interests that fill us up, right? And we need those personal interests. Um, a creative outlet that allows a personal energy to flow. So usually something that like really lights us up. Maybe it's a, a, a part, a pottery. You know, you creating pottery, doing something really creative, uh, drawing, painting. And um, these are just you know things that I'm just throwing out there. But just things that are personal outlets for you that fill you up in a way that other stuff doesn't. Right. Um, time with our loved ones and you see movies over and over again especially now the holidays are kind of kicking into gear right and we're seeing all these Christmas movies of these people um, not realizing how much their energy that they're putting towards something that is a dream or a desire that is you know they just put all of themselves into it and then they don't have time with their family and then at the end of their lives are you know so much time has gone on and they realize that that was like the biggest mistake, right? That that was like having intimate relationships and having time with our loved ones and our children and our families are really, really important and fill us up in a way. Um, it's probably one of the biggest regrets um, that people say on their deathbed is that they wish they would have spent more time with their their loved ones, the ones that they hold dear. So, um, and I'm actually reading that book right now, the the top five uh, most, like I think it's the top five regrets or whatever. Anyways, it's the the book about this woman that was working in hospice and she was working with people that were dying and they would tell her at the end what their regrets were and so she kind of compiled what the most common ones were. So I'm reading that right now and it's really beautiful. And that was one of them is the time with our loved ones is really important, right? Um, and wish that we wish that we would spend more time and balance that area out more. Um, the next one is physical activities that strengthens our mind and our bodies. So like usually, you know, like our physical bodies, our vessels are, it's like something that's amazing, but we usually give that up to pursue other things sometimes. And then we look back and we're like, oh no, you know, like I'm not taking care of this beautiful vessel of mine, making it strong, making it feel good, making it, you know, something I enjoy. Right. Um, rest and relaxation for our recharge so our human bodies can't go 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 forever so when we take from that when we say okay well i'm just not gonna sleep tonight i'm just gonna work all night or you know um i'm not gonna take that vacation because i'm gonna make that i'm gonna make that um you know amount of whatever i need for my job um so i'm gonna work 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 i'm gonna work on the weekends i'm gonna and you can't 
you know, your body needs rest, relaxation, but also so does your mind, so do your emotions, so does time recharging with your family and your friends. That's really, really important. It's, you can't just be all work and no play. So um, remember that even though the, it sounds wonderful and that our world promotes being so amazing and super at everything, it's really, first off, it's unrealistic, it's unhealthy. And um, it's, it's not something that we should strive for. What we should strive for is to be he- happy, healthy, and balanced, right? And to go after what lights us up and what we enjoy, right? And then, like, f- I know for me personally, now that I've gotten to a place where I'm going after what lights me up, what I just love, what I enjoy, it doesn't even, like, it doesn't even feel like like taking away from anything else. It feels like totally inspired totally, you know, where I want to be, right? And I'm not stealing from other parts of my life because it is like encompassing other parts of my life and I'm recognizing the balance and the health that's needed, right? I'm keeping that on check and on point. Even though I want to be doing what I do for many hours of the day, I make sure to balance myself and that's really important, right? There's no, it's not a race. We're not racing, And we're not trying to be better than other people, right? Let's just be in a good spot for ourselves. I think that's really important. Okay, the next one is what makes me happy um, is my loved ones being happy. And okay, so although that this one is true, that witnessing loved ones, like witnessing the ones that we love being happy is, you know, nice and it feels good and it's gratifying, right? This statement and what it kind of alludes to is that that's the only thing, right? And I hear that a lot. And I usually hear it from females is that when you ask them what they want for Christmas or what they want for their birthday, their response is, I just want my family to be happy, right? Or uh, what makes you happy? Well, I only want my children to be happy. When you are speaking in those terms and making those statements about your happiness or about what you want and you're making it about other people that's not loving yourself right it's unhealthy because yes even though that does feel good and that might be one thing that actually does really light you up one one piece but people should be knowing and loving themselves at such a deep level that we should know uh like tons of different things that fill us up and light us up and so when or things that we desire right and so when when we are asked or when we're thinking about what we like what we like and what makes us happy it shouldn't just be something for someone else and I remember a long time ago someone asking me that like like they were I think they were asking me to make a wish for myself and I made it for others and They said, no, you need to love yourself enough to give yourself something. When you are full, when you are um, filled with all of your uh, things that make you you and that feel good, right? Then you end up being this person that, that can enjoy your other people and can be, you know, a gift to others, right? And be encompassing of other people being happy. All right, so the last one is forgiveness is for the person I'm forgiving, and forgiveness is as simple as my intention. 
So I think that we fall into this unhealthy belief because, well, first off, forgiveness is sometimes so daunting and such um, a big challenge and a big journey that it's easy to to not want to deal with it, right? Um, but also that, you know, like, because we can just see the short term, right, of, like, just wanting it to be quick and over and done with um, and just to move on with our lives. But one thing that we have to think about with forgiveness, right, and when we truly, truly love ourselves is that if we don't really forgive, right, the opposite of forgiveness is really holding on to like pain, resentment, and um, yeah, just really, I really just think of it as like, you know, sitting, you know, reliving pain over and over again, right? Because we can't forgive. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean like we, and we hear this all the time too, is it doesn't mean that forgiveness is forgetting, right? We, you know, we still remember what has happened and we learn from it. That's easier said than done though. All this stuff that I'm saying is I've known for years, but I still struggle with forgiveness. And the reason why is because I think that, especially I had this belief that it's really just forgiveness should be a simple thing and that it should be the same every time, right? We do steps one, two, three, and we're done. I forgive you, right? Or it's as simple as like me thinking, I wanna forgive that person. But forgiveness doesn't work that way. And forgiveness is big, right? It's big and vast, and it really depends on all the moving parts of what has happened. So who or what you're forgiving, right? The circumstances which that undesirable thing kind of arrived with you. And then the person, you, right? Each time at everything that you need to be forgiving something or someone for, you're a new person, right? You come and you show up as a different person, every moment that changes you, you're different. So what might've worked prior to a similar event, right? With someone else or something else or, but it was very similar, might not work again. And I also think too, is that now that is to the depth of like, to the depth of the severity of what you're forgiving, right? Maybe something for you runs so deep, right? It was so personal. It was so hurtful that it might take you a long time. It might take you, it might be something you struggle with every day. You have. You might have to forgive that person every day. You might have to forgive that person. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. So this is like big energy here. You might have to forgive someone every time that that comes to your brain and it might happen 27 times in a day that's huge and that's the forgiveness right that i think that we don't talk about a lot in society that we don't bring up because it makes people emotional right because when you've gone through a lot of trauma it it takes a lot, so like things are in equal proportion. Whatever takes a lot of trauma, it takes a lot of energy to forgive, right? And sometimes things are so big or mean so much or you have so much attachment around things that forgiveness is a difficult journey, right? And But we have to look at it like that. We have to look at forgiveness as a journey rather than just a task that we complete, right? 
and we don't just complete it once. Sometimes we complete it on repeat. Sometimes we do it every day. Sometimes we do it as many as 100 times a day if that's where we're at. And that's okay. And you need to be, you need to forgive yourself for being in a different spot than maybe that you really desire to be with forgiveness, right? For whatever scenario it is you're forgiving. Um, so yeah. So take, take that part of that big daunting task of forgiveness and remember that sometimes it's going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be unmemorable, right? But when you really truly love yourself, you have to love yourself more than allowing that negative event to replay and to traumatize you on repeat over and over and over again within your mind, within within your psyche. And you have to love yourself more to live a healthier life where you can be free from that type of um, that type of pain for yourself, right? So whatever that is for you, um, love yourself more and, and forgive, right? And if you have to work on it every day, you have to work on it every day, or sometimes it'll be quick and easy and painless. All right. And there was a one quote that I thought was beautiful. Um, and it's when the pain inflicted by others is extreme an act of forgiveness is rarely a one-time event. And that's by Don Miguel Riez Jr. from The Mastery of Self, which is an amazing book. All right. Well, that's all I had for you today on the beliefs that stand in your way from you actually loving yourself. And also remember that if you are interested in taking advantage of the Giving Tuesday buy one, give one price for the classes, that I will leave the links for you so that you can go and check out information more details on the classes and the prices and the discount you'll receive and um, hope that you get to give that away to someone. This is the best time of year to help people invest in themselves. All right. And I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your night and don't forget, love yourself. Bye.